everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Check. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. We have a jam-packed show for you. Later on in the episode, we'll hear from Cubs prospect Andy Weber, who's down in the Arizona Fall League. And we also have an interview with Pat Hughes, the legendary voice of the Cubs, who was inducted in the Chicagoland Hall of Fame last week. He was gracious enough to talk with us about it's obviously some Ron Santo stories that always seems to be coming up when uh, Pat Hughes is around. And of course, is looking back at five years ago, that 2016 fateful fall and his call when the Cubs finally won the World Series. But first, let's bring in Lance Brozdowski. Lance, you're down in sunny Arizona, along with Andy Weber and some of the other Cubs prospects. Uh, first off, how's the weather down there? And I know you guys got a chance to at least see Brennan Davis a little bit and you guys were both dressed very handsomely. Scott Shagnon as well down there, our producer. Uh, we saw a photo of you guys, a, a little paparazzi photo. But just real quick, uh, you know, what's it like being down there and, and the opportunity just to see Brennan for a couple of minutes there? Yeah, no, it's been great. It's very warm in here, which is nice. I left the 30-degree weather of Chicago. Yeah, we ran into Brennan Davis. He, uh, he did an interview on our Cubs 360 offseason show. I encourage everyone to jump over to marqueesportsnetwork.com and check that out. Um, it's, it was a good hit. I mean, he's the man. He's he's. He's just great to talk to. He's a super personable guy, really great story. He's playing exceptionally well as Cubs fans know. And uh, he's ending in the offseason in Arizona, so he's around here in the warm weather. And um, it seems like he frequents the Cubs facility, which I can't say I'm surprised about. But, uh, um, no, he's a great guy. I mean, the, an example of that is that he, th- yesterday, excuse me, I believe is November 2nd, was his birthday, actually. And he was at the Arizona Folly game watching Ryan Jensen and Caleb Killian and Andy Weber and Nelson Velasquez and other guys down here. I know he goes to Ryan Jensen, so they're good friends. So I imagine Jensen was like, I don't really care. It's your birthday. You have to come and watch me pitch. But <laughs> I can't confirm that. But yeah. Yeah. And we know from that interview that Brennan Davis is definitely working on his golf game. Um, he's not taking part in the Arizona Fall League right now, but the guy that is, is it's not even a national or a Cubs story. I'm sorry, but it's a national story. Nelson Velasquez has really taken the entire Arizona fall league by storm. The first couple of weeks, he has absolutely been destroying the ball. So Lance, you know, being down there and, and just seeing what Nelson has done and this guy who's about to become rule five eligible, uh, he's, he's going to have to be added to the Cubs 40 man roster this winter or else they risk losing him, especially with a performance like this in the premier showcase for the big leagues. It certainly seems like he's going to be on the radar of, of a bunch of other teams around the league, but what are you seeing so far from Velasquez and just how he's performed in the Arizona fall league? Yeah, I was talking to a scout the other day and I think, I think one of the curious things about the Arizona fall league this year is that generally the level of play from what I understand is somewhere between double A and triple A. It's kind of like an all-star double A. Um, which is interesting because when Velasquez is here and you have all this production and you look at the rest of the league, the league OPS is somewhere, I think it's over like a thousand right now and the ERA is above five. So it's really tough to, I think, I think a lot of people are just looking at the stats and going, throw them all out. But with Velasquez, he's hitting better than everyone. So I almost think that it's best to look at it in terms of just like a normal curve of who's doing what. And like, you know, if you see like an 800 OPS, that's probably a little bit below what you should be expecting in terms of like the league average. But with Velasquez, he's so far above it that even with the inflation of the offensive numbers, I, I still think he's playing exceptionally well. And like, maybe it's a little bit more like just a little bit above average because the pitching is kind of a kind of all over the place from what I understand, but he's absolutely mashing. And I think for him, it comes back to bat speed. I mentioned this on, on the hit I did on our Cubs pregame show or not pregame show, the, the off season show we're running. 
it's just he's exceptional. I think if you look at any any metric that you can encompass Batsy through, which is usually a combination on the public side of max exit velocity, average exit velocity, and the 90th percentile, which is like your 10% of your hardest hit balls, how hard are you hitting just those balls? And if you combine those all together, you can kind of back into a bat speed number. And he ends up somewhere in the top 30 in all of minor league baseball. Um, and that's the carrying tool of his entire profile. I know he has a big arm in right field. Um, we saw a little bit of that in November 2nd's game as well. But I, I'm not exactly sure where the de- defensive position comes for him. But I also don't really think that matters if the NFL decides to add a DH. So uh, it's it's a really high floor bat. I think that's really what it comes down to. And we've seen guys like this kind of get passed over by prospect lists, which and I know many was passed over in mine as well, just because I wasn't exactly sure where he'd end up defensively. But uh, he's mashing. I don't expect it to stop. And uh, you see him. It's not particularly surprising that. He hit 270 between two levels of the minor leagues this year and played better in double-A than he did in high-A. I imagine he's in triple-A next year, and there's probably a call-up at some point, uh, depending on how, obviously, the, the, the roster shakes out for the Cubs in the offseason. Yeah, definitely. You know, he's a 22-year-old uh, right-handed hitting, like you said, position maybe a little bit uh, curious, but I think we all expect the designated hitter to come to the National League in 2022. And if not, yeah, I mean, he has a strong arm in the outfield, mm. so corner outfield is a possibility. But the fact that he hits right-handed, I think, is important, too, because the Cubs have three options there for kind of a right-handed platoon in the outfield that could be on the 40-man roster this year with Trace Thompson, Michael Hermosillo, and now Nelson Velasquez as well, um, kind of entering his name into the mix. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely interesting. And what he's doing down there is certainly of of some pretty big importance. But, Lance, what are you looking at, too, in terms of beyond Nelson Velasquez, but just some of the other pitchers? You mentioned Caleb Killian and Ryan Jensen. What are you looking at uh, while you're down there in Arizona beyond the Nelson Velasquez? Yeah, so we got to see both of them pitch yesterday back-to-back, which was great. Uh, I think it was the second time I saw Jensen and first time I saw Killian live. Um, so I kind of charted them and saw what they were throwing each handedness and stuff and really got a pretty good idea of what they do to each, uh, handedness of hitter. Um, it, they're both really interesting. I think the, the curious thing about both of them is that they're sinker based, which I think we're seeing a lot more teams kind of push towards, of course, team fastball, but, uh, Jensen sinker in particular is just absolutely brutal for right-handed hitters to try to get under. There was multiple pitches that he had where he just ran that pitch inside and guys fell it off their foot. And then they're walking around for a couple of seconds trying to kind of recoup their mentality and, and, and uh, breathe off the pain, so to speak. But uh, it's a really good pitch, and he's working on the slider. That's like 89 to 90. It's, it's kind of like a tight, as our guy Sean Mark always calls them, baby cutters. It's kind of in that window. Um, those are his two primary pitches, a little bit of a curveball too. Um, but I, it's the curious thing with him is like, I think that he could kind of become this righty sinker baller, devastating right-handed hitters at the major league level pretty soon. But it's, it's also like a starting pitching profile because he's able to kind of hold velocity late in the games. Um, really good mechanic, super athletic guy. So I'm not exactly sure what the Cubs are going to do in terms of the future with him. If they want to bring him up late next year, I think that he could work in like a one to two inning role as we saw the Keegan Thompsons and Justin Steeles of the world do last year. But if they want to stretch him out and actually develop him, then it's probably like a double A, triple A bounce um, next year for him. And then maybe in 2023, he's up. So He's fascinating. He's a really good guy. We're going to talk to him Thursday, I believe, which will be November 4th. We're going to do a little demo with him and talk through his pitch grips and talk through what he's been changing in terms of those two breaking balls, which I know the Cubs really want him to kind of get to that average to above average level. Killian obviously acquired from the Giants in the um, Chris Bryant trade. Um, We talked to him in Tennessee, I think a couple days after he was acquired. So we're going to follow up with him today, talk about his start on November 2nd. We're also going to talk just uh, if he's had time finally to process the trade and kind of acclimate to the Cubs system. I'm interested to talk about what they've conversed with him about in terms of what they wanted to change. He's already going to a spike grip on his curveball, which you've seen 
a variety of Cubs pitchers do. Um, I believe he changed to Vulcan change grip, which we saw with DJ Hers when we talked to Myrtle Beach. He uses that. So he's clearly tinkering. I, I'm fascinated to see what they think long-term in terms of his development, but he just pounds the zone. Like, I, I think I, I usually track, like, non-competitive pitches, and I think I saw maybe two across four innings, which is kind of insane. He just doesn't miss. Like, if he misses, it's close to the zone. So I'd be fascinated to take a look at some of the advanced data around, uh, you know, where his, like, intended zone is and how much he misses uh, on average. That's something that uh, isn't public information, and I don't even think some teams usually properly utilize that. But I'd be fascinated looking at that because I he, he's able to sustain sub, like, 1.5 walk per nine rates and various levels of the minors. And he's just, he's just in the zone the entire time, keeps the pace of the play up. So I, I imagine fans like that. And one of the guys I know you did get a chance to talk to was Andy Weber, the 24-year-old kind of utility man uh, that's come up through the comp system, topped out at double A in 2021. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that's down there playing in the Arizona Fall League as well. And Lance, we'll hear from him and mm -hmm. in a bit, but just what were your main takeaways from your conversation with Andy? Yeah, I see two main takeaways. The one being that he hasn't played a consecutive month of baseball since 2019, obviously with COVID in 2020. And then he had turf toe, went back on the aisle for the turf toe, and then ran into some of the COVID issues that some of the other systems ran, some of the other levels ran into um, last, this year. So now he's, he's finally getting a larger sample of play uh, where he's consistently on the field. He's consistently helping. You're seeing some production from him. And he also, he's also switching from shortstop to third base, playing a lot more third base down here. He only played one game at third base in 2021 in double A, and now he's played, I think, probably seven or eight games at third base. So well, I talked to him a little bit about kind of that flip and uh, he's, he's a really fascinating guy. He's super cerebral um, UVA grad um, kind of contact based profile. Doesn't really see himself developing into a crazy amount of power, but uh, as we've seen positional versatility and contact are two things that comes value and he hits both those on the, the nail on the head, so to speak. All right. So let's uh, hear from Lance's conversation with Andy Weber, the Cubs prospect. We're out here in Arizona. It's a little bit warmer than Chicago, and I'm really excited to be joined by Andy Weber. He's kind of a utility infielder, moved from short to over to third, playing some third base now in the Arizona Fall League. We've got the backdrop behind us. Game starts in a couple hours. Really excited to sit down and chat with you. Start this off very simply, man. What are you working on in the AFL? Uh, yeah, man, but thanks for having me, by the way. Absolutely. Um, uh, right now, I'm just trying to get consistent at bats and try to feel good again um, after kind of an up-and-down year uh, in Tennessee. But, you know, this is a great league to play in. There's a ton of great players. Some It's the best of the best. So um, I'm excited to be here, and, and I've been having a blast the whole way. This has been a, a bit of a wild season for you on the injury front. We were talking a little bit about a turf toe sideline, you two separate occasions, and then you ran into some COVID issues, which much of the Cubs organization did. But uh, what is turf toe? Was it a pain? Have you gotten over it? Are you past that mental barrier of almost thinking that you maybe will never get back to full health? Yeah. Um, I mean, turf toe is just kind of a strain of the ligament in your, uh, in your big toe. But uh, I haven't really thought too much about it since, since I've been healthy. And I've been, it's been nice to get, um, get healthy and moving around and get back in shape, especially after kind of the COVID stuff. We got shut down for about two or three weeks. But um, it was good to come out here and get in shape before the league started. And, and now I'm feeling great. Is it one of those things that you think will pop back up? Or do you think it's past you? Or like, is it, is it just kind of a freak injury that happens? It's kind of a freak injury, yeah. you know? Like, uh, it happens a lot in football. For me, it happened on a swing. Um, which is kind of crazy, but uh, you know, it was um, just kind of a freak thing that happened. And I, you know, I wear a carbon insole plate in my foot now that kind of prevents it from you know bending too far or hurting. So yeah, it's, it feels good. That's great. Going in, the, uh, one of the things we're talking about a little bit off camera actually is that you kind of haven't played 
consecutive month since 2019, everything with COVID last year, obviously shutting down the league, minor league system and stuff, and then kind of a, a, a hodgepodge of, of games and stretches this season. So how nice is it to come to the AFL and actually have like an indefinite period of time where you're getting consistent at-bats? It's great. I mean, Lance has given me a lot of opportunities to play um, and move around the diamond, which is, you know, in, in the season I've been playing primarily shortstop, um, and I really haven't had the chance to play third or second a ton since college, so this is good to... Um, you know, do because it's something you're going to have to do the further you move up. Uh, but you know, this is uh, this is the most fun I've had probably since 2019 playing baseball. Absolutely, yeah. You mentioned that. Uh, you think you've only played one game at Double A this year at third base, if I'm if I'm correct. And uh, that transition, we were talking a little bit off camera. It seems to be a little more reactionary. Shortstop, obviously, a little bit harder. But uh, do you view yourself as a guy that could kind of move around the diamond entirely, even maybe potentially second base down the line? Like, how do you view yourself as you as an infielder defensively? Absolutely. Um, you know, I played second base primarily in college too so um, played a little third and I actually didn't start playing shortstop until pro ball so they've given me, given me a lot of reps there but you know it's good to be versatile it's, it's good to be available wherever they need to put you um, for whatever team it is so you know uh, or whatever affiliate it is but you know this is it's a great opportunity it's a great time for me to work on all my all my, all my skills. What's the biggest difficulty about jumping from short to third? Um, probably just the, the footwork's a little bit different and then obviously you have a lot less time to catch the ball because you're just closer to the plate but um they call it the hot corner for a reason absolutely do you have you changed your pregame routine at all to kind of adjust you from short to third like were you doing things differently when you're playing short that maybe you're not doing now that you're playing third um no it's pretty similar you know uh just kind of getting reps there is the biggest thing for me um i'm just trying to take as many ground balls as i can over there as um when i'm playing there uh but I'm starting to feel more comfortable with it. Um, and I think that's just only going to continue as, as the more I do it. Has there been a coach in the Cubs system or on the Mesa Solar Sox that has kind of helped you with the, that transition? Um, I've been working a ton pretty much my whole career with Luis Vasquez. Um, he's about as good as a defender as there is in baseball, in my opinion. Um, so I try to pick his brain as much as I can. I, we've been working a lot with Jeremy Farrell. He's our infield coordinator. Um, and you know they've been super helpful to me uh, throughout the entire process, especially the more I've moved around and you know the more uncomfortable I might be at a certain position for the first time. But um, I'm, it's starting to feel comfortable. The Cubs had, I believe, 13 players between uh, shortstop and third base start a game last year, which I'm not exactly sure where that lands in the league, but I imagine it's up there. A lot of teams maybe have a shortstop that plays the entire season or yeah. maybe 140 games of the 162. How much confidence does that give you that at the in the future for you, you'll be able to carve out a role as a guy who could kind of play all over the diamond? You know, it feels great. Um, you know, they say the best ability is availability. And so if, if you can play, if you're healthy and you can play multiple positions, it's going to give you more opportunities to contribute. and. Um, you know, whatever I can do down the road to do that is that sounds good to me. Let's jump over to the fun stuff, the hitting side. Yeah. Seven for your last 14. You're on a little bit of a, bit of a, a heater here, so to speak. Uh, it seems like the ball's flying out of here. Number one, you guys scored, I think, 15 runs the other day, 10 before, 11 before that. Um, how difficult is it to kind of isolate how you're doing at the plate personally when you're seeing that every ball is kind of dropping or every ball is flying out of the park? I mean, at the, uh, I think you try to take it one, one at bat at a time. Um, that's how I like to think. I just try to have quality at bats and um, I've been working a lot with the hitting coaches out here which is nice but I mean when you have this many good hitters on as, on this team like we do uh, I mean these games are insane. I haven't seen this many these many runs scored and I don't know how long but I mean it seems like every every game we're scoring 15 runs so you know it's fun you don't really think too much about it you just kind of ride the wave and and you know we're having fun yeah and i mentioned in that seven for 14 i think you have a double a triple and a homer so kind of the cycle so to speak in your last four or five games uh your development of power is something that i think a lot of other people have talked about as something that really kind of push you ahead to the next level do you view yourself as developing power um i think 
I'm learning how my swing works better and I'm getting a better idea of how the power works. It's not really my game. Um, that's kind of more of a guy like Nelson Velasquez and stuff like that. And I'm trying to get bigger and stronger and uh, trying to, you know, do some things that allow me to get more power. But um, I think it'll maybe come down the road. I don't think I'll ever be necessarily a power guy. Uh, but, you know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> What's one of the things you've learned kind of about your swing? You mentioned that a little bit. Uh, you know, was it was it the downtime kind of uh, dealing through the injuries? You watch a lot of tape. You know, how's that development been? Like, what have you learned about your swing in the last year or so? Yeah, I, I think I, when, I was, when I was injured, I had a lot of time to think about the mental side of the game and um, kind of learning how hitters think and, you know, talking to a lot of guys. Like, P.J. Higgins was out here rehabbing the same time I was, and I got to pick his brain a lot, you know, talk to guys like that. And, um, you know, when I came out here, I, I had a better idea of what I wanted to do. And um, I had a better idea of how I wanted to approach my swing and how I wanted to approach um, a certain scenario or situation in a game or a pitcher, whatever it may be. And I think that has definitely helped uh, just kind of learning from the older guys, for mm -hmm. sure. Heading into the off season, what are your goals? Uh, my main goal is probably just to get bigger and stronger right now. Um, try to add some weight on. That's something I've struggled with my a lot of my life. So. Um, you know, the, the I think the the more I can do that, the more weight I can put on, the stronger I can be, and you know we can get more power, be faster, and uh, see what happens. You gonna be using my fitness pal to add those calories up? How, how, do, you, how do you track it? I just gotta eat everything in sight. Honestly, <laughs> like I I just gotta keep eating and eating. I, I burn it off quick, I guess. I don't know. What, I don't know you, what's going on. You an In and Out guy? Yeah, I love In and Out. <laughs> I don't have it back home either, so oh, it's nice to true. have it here. You mentioned you're from Ohio, so you're heading back there for the off season. Yeah, absolutely. So we got. I mean, we've got Wendy's and McDonald's, we got the mainstream <laughs> stuff, but it's nice to come out here and, you know, get a double-double and some, some animal fries or something like that. <laughs> we'll have to get you a personal set and send them out to Ohio. Absolutely. You. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, excited to see you back here in spring, potentially making an impact on the major league team. Thanks for time. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, Lance, great stuff there with Andy Weber. And all throughout the winter, we have a bunch of prospect coverage. We have Winter League Wednesdays, so every Wednesday on MarqueeSportsNetwork.com. We're recapping all the Cubs-related players in winter leagues, playing in Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Mexico, and all the other various winter leagues. And then every Friday, we have Fall League Fridays that, Lance, I know you work closely with Lee Bosch on. What are you looking forward to over the rest of the fall as you provide your perspective and insight to the Fall League content? Yeah, absolutely. Lee and I work pretty closely. Uh, really good conversations back and forth. Canario and Christopher Morrell are two guys in the winter, uh, in the winter league Wednesday recaps that we'll probably be focusing on. And then obviously Velasquez is just on fire and, and Killian and Jensen for the fall league Friday stuff. But I'm already thinking about my prospect list for next year counting. So we'll get on that pretty soon. Sounds good. I'm anxious to read that as well. We're going to take a quick break here on the podcast. When we come back, we'll chat with Pat Hughes. At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs Checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC. Tony Andrecki here with Pat Hughes of the Chicagoland Sports Hall of Fame. Pat, first off, congratulations. Thank you for taking the time with us here. Tony, happy to be here. Very exciting night. When you think about Chicago and what a great sports city it is, one of the best in the world, to be honored by the Chicagoland Sports Hall of Fame is certainly a special honor. What kind of emotions are going through you right now? I mean, the, the, the class you're going in with is really just a lot of powerhouse names, but what kind of emotions are going through? I, I would say uh, memories, mainly. Um, my wife is here. I wish my daughters could be here, but they're out of state. 
One is working, the other's in grad school. I wish my parents were still alive. So I'm, I'm thinking about all the people that are really close to me right now. And then I start thinking back to, back to when I got this job, way back in November of 1995, which, I mean, Bill Clinton was president at that time, Tony. <laughs> and uh, so many things have happened in the world and Ron Santo was here, so I thought a lot about Ronnie these last few days, all the fun times we've had, the outrageous conversations and behavior, and mainly the laughter and the fun that we had. Uh, they called it the Pat and Ron Show. It went for 15 years, and I know he would be proud to be here tonight, and I'm sure he's been a member here for a long time. But a little piece of him is going up with you as well, right? I mean, like you just mentioned, you're taking him up there. And, and your other partner, Ron Coomer, is here. He's already a member of the, the Hall of Fame. We saw him as well. So what is it like to, to have that level of partners, you know, between Ron Santo and Ron Coomer and, and how they've helped your career too? Just amazing. Starting with Santo, he went out of his way, and this is going to be part of my speech tonight when I get up there. When I got here, and I came from Milwaukee, one of the smallest markets, uh, to Chicago. I was doing three innings of radio play-by-play -play for the Brewers, working with Bob Euchre, and now going from three innings in a small market to doing all nine innings every single game in a major market. That's a big jump, man, you know? Yeah. So I was very, very nervous and uptight. Whenever, Tony, you can relate to this, whenever a broadcaster moves from one city to another, regardless of the market sizes, there's always a little anxiety. You wonder, how is that new audience going to receive me? Are they going to like me? Are they going to dislike me? Am I going to be here only for a year? Or, uh, Well, I've lasted 26 years, so I must have done a few things right along the way. But Ronnie went out of his way. Santo took the family. He took my wife and my two daughters out to dinner immediately. Uh, that made me relax. And then I'm not going to tell this story tonight during the induction ceremony, but it's a very special story. It just takes too long, and I only have five minutes during the speech. <laughs> we but, have plenty of time here, so but yeah. He knew I was uptight, which would be very normal and natural, but the night before our first Cactus League game, it would have been like March 1st of 1996, he calls me at my little place where I was staying in Arizona, and he says, Pat, it's Ron Santo. I know you're nervous. Don't be. You're going to be great. You do the play-by-play, -play, I'll do the color, we're going to have fun, we're going to cover Cubs baseball. And as he was saying this, Tony, it sounds corny, but I could almost feel the tension start to vanish from my mind and my body. It was almost a magical experience and sensation. I wish that everyone could experience it, and it's hard to really explain. But I hung up the phone, I thought, what a great guy he is for going out of his way I, I hung up the phone and I felt completely relaxed. I had a good night's sleep. I went to the park the next day. It was the Cubs against the Mariners at old Ho Ho Cam Park. Uh, Frank Castillo was pitching for the Cubs. Mark Grace is playing first base. I don't remember the rest of the guys on the field, but Castillo in the top of the first inning, again, this is Ron Santo and me making our first ever debut. So it was a big deal for me. It's a Cactus League game. It meant nothing to most people. But in the top of the first inning, Castillo gives up a couple of hits, walks a batter, bases loaded, nobody out. I think, oh, brother, this is going to be rough. My first half inning, the Mariners are going to score 12 runs, and, and they're going to run me out of town. I didn't really think that, but I mean, it could <laughs> yeah. have happened. But anyway, Castillo makes some good pitches. It's a long inning, Tony, and Ronnie and I are starting to 
begin our chemistry. And I could feel it right away. I would tap into his knowledge about certain plays or certain pitches or certain things that the batter did. And I could just feel that he enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It happened right away and it had everything to do with him making me feel comfortable the night before with that telephone call. Anyway, the, the, the inning ends and again, we've been laughing and doing color and play-by-play -play and it's like a 15-minute half inning, but Castillo gives up no runs. Miraculously, the last out is a pop-up. Mark Grace makes the catch in foul territory. That's why I remember that Gracie was part of it. And I say, okay, the Mariners threaten, but they leave three at the end of a half. Seattle nothing and the Cubs coming up on the Cubs radio network. Santos stands up. He stands up and shakes my hand. He has this big smile on his face like he's 10 years old, like, oh boy, this is going to be so much fun. And I almost laughed because I felt good too. And uh, it's just such a sweet memory that I have of Ron Santo. And I thought, if he does this after the first half inning of a Cactus League game, what's he going to be like in a World Series game someday? But uh, I will never forget that. It was a very kind and generous gesture of Ron Santo to go out of his way and make me feel welcome. Did you ever think back then, too, that you'd be here today? I, I know you, don't, you never did this for a Hall of Fame or for accolades, but you know, to take yourself back 26 years ago and think of where you are now, what would have been your thoughts? What would, what would have happened if you would have told yourself that? I think I would not have believed it. Uh, I couldn't. And, and even today, I can't look beyond a season or a contract, if you will. If you commit to a two or three or five year contract, you know you're probably going to be there for that uh, number of years unless you really mess up and they get rid of you. But um, I don't really think in terms of 20 or 25 years down the road. I didn't at that time and I certainly don't now because I'm getting to be an older guy and I like to just enjoy the moment, enjoy the season, enjoy the time that I have. Uh, I enjoy Ron Coomer so very much. Um, I've worked with a lot of famous people. Ron Sato for one, Bob Euchre for 12 years in Milwaukee, Al McGuire, six great years on Marquette basketball up in Milwaukee, Harry Carey, he was around for a couple of years. So I've worked with some real heavyweights. I will say that I have enjoyed working with no one any more than my current partner, Ron Coomer. He is hilarious. He's a great guy. He's a wonderful human being. Great team player, very smart, very insightful, uh, knows the game. He was a Cub fan as a kid, which makes it extra special having him in the booth. He played for the Cubs. There's another feather in his cap. But I love the guy. And as long as I'm doing play-by-play, -play, I just want to keep on working with Ron Coomer. And as I say that, I want to include Zach Zaidman in the conversation, too. Zach is the third man. He's a big part of our booth. He does great work. He's articulate. He's an excellent play-by-play -play man. He's a team player as well, and I'm sure he has a very, very bright future. But Ronnie and Zach and me, uh, it feels good every day. We have fun. We get down to business when it's a serious game. But overall, it's just it, it feels great, and I hope it continues for a long time. 
So for tonight with the speech, I know you mentioned it a little bit, you only have a couple of minutes. So how long did you spend working on it and what did you decide to include? What were some difficult things to, to cut out? Obviously there are a lot of people that think, as you just mentioned, a few of them here. There are, you go right to the, the main, like the greatest hits, like a, a rock and roll band. They, they put an album together with their greatest hits. Let's go to the, let's go to the favorites, the ones the, the fans have heard and the fans like. But um, no, I, I, I broke it down to a very personal level. Uh, my family, my wife Trish is here with me tonight. Uh, my daughters, I'm gonna thank them for you know, uh, putting up with dad being on the road for 100 days a year. But I'm gonna thank Coomer and Zach and Mitch Rosen of The Score and Tom Ricketts and Crane Kenny and uh, the memory of Ron Santos, certainly, and Cub fans. I'm gonna thank Cub fans because they are such a special group. And your audience is important, Tony, as you know. The audience that you work for has a lot to do with how long you're there, uh, how, how well you will do in terms of salary and contracts and things like that. I could not possibly have a better audience than the audience of the Chicago Cubs. And here's something I'll share tonight. <clears throat> At the end of every year, invariably, I get emails or calls and messages that they, they're from Cub fans and they say, Pat, thank you. Thank you for being here and thank you for the work you've done. And I always say, well, you're very welcome, but really, I think it should be the other way around. I think I'm the one who should be thanking you. I'm glad you brought up fans because I was actually going to ask you about that too. Just with your name being synonymous and your voice obviously synonymous with Cubs broadcast for, for 26 years now, and you even said it here, like it's something that resonates with so many different <clears throat> generations of fans. What does that mean to you with Cubs fans? Uh, like you said, when you get an email like that and that happens regularly or you're walking down the street or, or you see somebody here that's a Cubs fan, just to know that your name and your voice is synonymous with a Cubs broadcast. It's a very cool feeling, Tony, and that's a good question. Um, I think I'm, I'm one of those guys, uh, unlike some broadcasters in my business, I call them broadcast gypsies, where they always want to know where the next gig is, the next big deal. You know, they want to be in the running. They want their name in the paper. They want their name online. I'm not that way. I couldn't care less if my name is any of those places. I, I got the job that I wanted. Uh, when I got here, I said, <clears throat> this is not a stepping stone to go somewhere else. I am the voice of the Cubs, and I want to stay here for as long as I possibly can. I like being here for 26 years. I feel like the fans have almost made me a part of their family yeah. in some ways. Uh, they always have me on in the car radio, they tell me. Uh, they have me on the, uh, the barbecue deck off to the side, the little uh, portable radio. I'm in their cubicles at work. Um, so they, f they make me feel like I am kind of an extended part of their family. That's a very special feeling to me. I love that. And um, again, I, I did not want to go anywhere. I think the goal for me is to get the job you like and to try to stay there as long as you possibly can. And I still feel that way. And that's what I'm going to do. There, as long as I'm healthy and I feel like I can do an, an, an efficient job or at least a, a competent job, I'm going to stay here and keep on doing Cubs baseball because I love it. Well, you mentioned all the different places and avenues where people listen to you. I remember one specifically I always heard from, from fans, from friends, from family members, playoffs, especially in 15 and 16. They would shut them. They would mute the TV, watch, but then listen to your voice, turn on you and Ron. And here, as we're getting a chance to talk to you, it's almost exactly five years of the day from the World mm -hmm. Series championship. 
I imagine that was probably your favorite moment. I don't want to speak for you here, but just what what moment, you know, how impactful was that moment for you in your career, and how thankful are you that you had the opportunity to to be able to call a Cubs World Series after all that time too? Well, I'm, I'm very proud. I'm very happy. It uh, was the, the call of a lifetime. It was one of the biggest moments, obviously, of my career by far, but it was one of the biggest moments of my life, I'll be honest. And um, you never really know as a live performer with no script, and you can relate to this, Tony, we don't have anything that we're reading from right now. We are just winging it right off the top of our head. You do that every single moment as a baseball announcer. So you kind of get used to it, but you know, you have all these crazy thoughts. You have no idea the way a baseball game will end. It could end a hundred different ways. It could end on a homer or a strikeout or a double play or a throwing error or a base running mistake. It could end in a blowout 15 to one or it could be a nail biter, one nothing, or it could be a cliffhanger like we saw in Cleveland in game seven, back and forth, back and forth, and the Cubs hanging on for dear life at the very end. So a lot of people have said, you know, I really enjoyed the call, but did you plan out anything you wanted to say? Well, I said, well, no, because let's say you, you've thought out two really fancy things to say, uh, or if you've thought out one fancy thing to say, okay, and I'm gonna say that regardless. Well, if it's a 12-0 Cubs win, or if it's a one-run nail-biter Cubs win, those are two completely different feelings at the end of the game. So it, the saying that you have planned might fit perfectly for one of those, but be totally inappropriate for the other. So I wanted to call the final play, and, and I was proud that I said a, a little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. So I was true to the last call. I didn't say, grounded to Bryant, you know, this could be bounded slowly to Bryant and then he will glove it and throw to Rizzo and I, I didn't want to jump the gun I waited until Joe West the first base umpire I saw Rizzo reach for the high throw I saw Joe West give it that shot right there it's in time and then I knew I wanted to say the Chicago Cubs win the World Series and then I happened to catch a glimpse of Ben Zobras running in from left field and he he jumped in the air like a 10-year-old, all four arms and legs are going in different directions. He's just, his body's out of control. He's like a 10-year-old. And I said, the Cubs are, you know, they come roaring out of the dugout, jumping up and down like a bunch of delirious 10-year-olds because I, I caught that glimpse of Ben Zobras. And then I said, the Cubs have done it. The longest drought in the history of American sports is over and the celebration begins. Now, I, I mean, I didn't plan out word for word. I wanted to be under control. I wanted to be able to say the Cubs win the World Series without sounding hysterical. And I didn't want my voice to crack and sound like a seventh grader. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of things going on. But did I plan it out word for word? Absolutely not. In fact, I was laughing the next morning. We, we flew home from Cleveland. And I'm listening to the call for the first time. And... When I said, the Cubs have done it, I thought, who said that? I had completely forgotten. I was so much into the moment of what I was watching and what I was about to say that I didn't even realize that I had said, the Cubs have done it. But that wasn't a bad thing to say no, at that time. Perfect. And um, anyway, it, it, it went okay. It was nerve-wracking. But boy, I'd love to do it again, Tony. I really would. It was fun.
How often do you reflect on that? Just not even that call or that game, but just that whole fall. I mean, it was so magical all October and then obviously the first two days of November. How often do you reflect on five years ago? Often. I really do. I, I love that whole period of time. Uh, one game that that I loved, and, and there were 40,000 people at Wrigley the night the Cubs won the pennant when Kyle Hendricks outdueled Clayton Kershaw. Kyle pitched the game of his life. The Cubs beat the Dodgers to win the pennant and go to the World Series. And I, I think that that night was kind of overshadowed, understandably so, by the ensuing World Series victory. Mm -hmm. But that win at that point was one of the biggest I'd ever been involved in. It was the Cubs' first pennant since 1945. Think about that for a minute. It was 71 years. So that was a big deal. And that was a very special night. And another thing special about that, Tony, it was at Wrigley. It was in Chicago with our fans and all the people that love us and the people that we love. They got to be there, and that made it very special. And I've said the next time, if indeed there is a next time for me to call a World Series, I would absolutely love to do it at Wrigley Field because that would be, that would be the absolute ultimate, I think, for a Cubs announcer. I think uh, everyone on the north side of Chicago, every Cubs fan would agree with you there. Before we let you go here, though, uh, you had the opportunity to do a few games with us in Marquee this year. On How different was that for you to prepare for a TV broadcast versus the radio broadcast? And just overall, what was that experience like for you to call a few games this year? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, I worked with Jim Deshays. I worked with Ryan Dempster. Uh, they were excellent to work with. Two great guys. I've known both of them for a long time. Saw Ryan pitch many games, as a matter of fact. And Jim Deshays goes back to his days in Houston. I've known him for probably 30 years so I enjoyed it it's a different job you don't need to talk as much but um, I was fine with the uh, the conversation with with Jim and with with Ryan I enjoyed that I feel like it was something that I kept uh, learning and trying to do better and better as I went along by no means am I the finished product as a television play-by-play -play man but uh, I enjoyed it I hope to do some more of that in the future but I'm never gonna leave Cubs radio Cubs radio is in my heart. That's what I want to do primarily, but I would love to do some more games on TV as well. Well, Pat, thank you so much for your time. It's always fantastic to catch up with you, and just an incredible honor. So congratulations again. <laughs> Tony, thank you. It's been an honor to be with you, and uh, great to see Cub fans here in late October. Maybe a year from now, Cubs are going to be back in the playoffs, and I get another chance to say, the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. Well, that was great stuff from Pat Hughes. I don't know about you guys, but I could certainly listen to another 20 minutes of Pat talking. And good news for those of you who want to continue to hear Pat Hughes talk during the offseason, you can head to his website, baseballvoices.com. There are a bunch of CDs available. Uh, I know the, the Cubs win the World Series CD I bought a few years ago. I, I gave one to my mom and have one myself. And it's a pretty great listen. Just listening to, you know, you go all the way back through the regular season and then obviously through the playoffs and through that World Series call. And this one here, this was the first time I heard Pat Hughes give that World Series call in person. Every other time had been via CD or via listening online or wherever else. And uh, it still gives me chills to hear him, you know, say that, you know, the Cubs have won the World Series and they're jumping around like a bunch of delirious 10-year-olds. So I thought that was uh, just pretty cool. And honestly, anytime we get a chance to talk to Pat Hughes is just amazing so congratulations to him we're very happy that he is honored in the chicagoland hall of fame and that'll do it for this week's edition of the cubs weekly podcast 
presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and on YouTube. Thanks for listening and catch you next week. Thank you.